Hello and welcome to Business Line Podcast. I am Nivedita Varadarajo. There is a power struggle in Afghanistan. The Taliban is seeking to establish itself once again and the government is going all out to stop them. The situation in Afghanistan has deteriorated uh, since the US started to pull out its troops earlier last year. The UN High Commissioner for Refugees believe that over 270,000 Afghans have been displaced since this January because of violence there. In all, over 3.5 million people have been displaced because of the conflict which started over two decades ago. Uh, another UN agency says that the civilian casualties are on a steady rise, 29% more in the first quarter of this year compared to 2020. So experts are worried about three things. First thing, they are unsure if the government can keep uh, the Taliban at bay. They are also worried about the stability of the region if the Afghan government falls or if the Taliban regains control over a significant portion of the land. And finally, experts are worried about the safety and security of the people, especially women and children there. We all know these concerns are not new. They have been there for many uh, decades now. The safety, security and stability of Afghanistan was always in question if the US and the NATO leave. The US is now withdrawing its troops hurriedly, even though the Taliban is not holding up to their end of the Doha deal, which was pushed by former President uh, uh, Donald Trump. Even the current administration is continuing the pullout, which is against what many people in the US, many experts and senators and politicians in the US want. In today's podcast, we are joined by Keithi M. Shah, Associate Fellow in the Department of Strategic Studies at the Observer Research Foundation to understand the situation in Afghanistan, India's role and presence in Afghanistan, and what could happen next to this strategically important but severely war-torn nation. Thank you for joining us today, Keithi. Thank you, Nimedita. Welcome to the program. Firstly, what is the current situation in Afghanistan? We know recently that the representatives of both uh, the Taliban and the government sat down for talks. What, what is the status of the talks? So, Nivedita, the situation in Afghanistan is not good, whichever way you look at it. And the situation is also rapidly changing every day. So by the time we record this podcast and the podcast actually goes on air, the situation on the ground could change once again. So just to give a little background, the U.S. and the Taliban signed what is the Doha Agreement or what they called is the Agreement for Bringing Peace to Afghanistan last year on the 29th of February in 2020. And this was essentially a withdrawal agreement um, where the Taliban had to make very few concessions. Uh, in, and the U.S. said that if they could do that, the U.S. would withdraw. And since then, the U.S. has been, as you mentioned, steadily withdrawing their troops from the country. Uh, this was under President Trump. Now that President Biden has come in, and President Biden has been very wary of the war in Afghanistan in general since he was vice president, uh, things have changed drastically. The U.S. was supposed to pull out on May 1st, and as we know, this deadline has been extended uh, until September 11th of this year. And since May 1st, or actually since mid-April, the Taliban has been rapidly advancing throughout the country. So all estimates, even those estimates in which people are more liberal on how they define that an area is under Taliban control, all estimates show extremely distressing figures. So from the middle of April to now, that's mid-July, the Taliban has more than tripled the number of districts that are under their control. So out of the 34 provinces in Afghanistan, now there are 18 capitals that are under direct threat of being taken over by the Taliban. 
So it's a very scary situation. Um, and the Afghan troop morale, of course, remains very low. But keeping that in mind, the US and the Taliban, uh, the Afghan government and the Taliban, sorry, they're now engaging in sort of a war of different narratives. Uh, because as we know, the side which has the most dominant narrative is the side, is the side that we can presume is, win, is in a better winning situation. So the Taliban has been saying that, yes, we're taking over all these districts. They've been saying that Afghan forces are fleeing on seeing us. They're surrendering the moment they see us. They're giving in without a fight. And they have been arguing this repeatedly. And this is for two reasons. One, the Taliban want to show that they are powerful and that people are giving in even before we arrive. And two, they want to show that the state and the Kabul government that you people are supporting remains so weak. You expect them to protect you when they're surrendering to us without a fight. So that's the narrative that they have been, um, that they want should be spread and they want people to have this fear of them. And the government narrative, um, I, will, I will say that is, though it is weaker, it is extremely important to note because the Kabul government has been repeatedly saying that yes, the Taliban is advancing, but we are not giving up. We are retaking districts. We are pushing them for a political settlement. We are talking to regional countries. We are putting pressure on Pakistan. We have just not given up. And if the Taliban is so great, then why are people fleeing the country? Uh, so it might not be the strongest argument that the government of Afghanistan has, but it's extremely important to note because in our news headlines and international media, we like to have these headlines of, you know, the Taliban is taking over Afghanistan, Taliban, Afghan forces are fleeing here and there. But the reality is that, yes, the Taliban are definitely on the offensive. Yes, they are seizing territory. Uh, but there is not going to be a military solution to the end of this war. The Afghan forces continue to, to fight. They continue to sacrifice their lives and they are resisting the Taliban uh, in every province. So that's also important uh, to keep in mind. But yes, the situation is not that good. Um, and with the US leaving, there is no one really standing by Kabul as a strong ally that will uh, literally fight alongside them against the Taliban. So it's an extremely distressing situation. And every day, districts are being taken over. Um, and like I said, by the time this podcast airs, we don't know how the situation will change. The Taliban could have more territory, or the Afghan forces could have freed certain districts. Uh, so it's rapidly evolving, but extremely concerning. It's interesting that you talk about how the, the lack of U.S. presence is a weak point for the Afghan government. But the U.S. has always been in Afghanistan, has always been involved in Afghanistan from the 1950s itself. Uh, they haven't been an extremely dependable ally. Like the fact that they had a meeting with Taliban only and signed a peace deal with them and not taken the Afghan government, that shows that they're not trusty anyway, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we call it a peace agreement because we want it, we want it to be that. But in reality, it's not a peace agreement. It is a withdrawal agreement where the U.S. have made an agreement that we are going to withdraw from Afghanistan these are the terms under which we will withdraw. And now the Taliban has to sit down with the Afghan government and start discussing how they are going to discuss or negotiate what will be a peace agreement. So it's very important that the international actors and regional actors that have the Afghan people's interests at heart have to call it a withdrawal agreement and not a peace agreement. Because the US and NATO, they're just ready to leave. And everyone agrees that they have to go. But it's the way that they are going about this withdrawal that is the problem. Uh, and that's important to note because it's not, peace is not coming anytime soon. Uh, it's just the withdrawal agreement on the table right now.
Yeah, you're right because it looks like peace is long way. It's it's it feels like it's more off than when Af when the Afghanistanis and the US were working together, right? Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So now that the US is leaving, how do they plan to engage in Afghanistan? Do they want to still be in Afghanistan because there's a lot of pressure in the US to leave Afghanistan completely and let the people of Afghanistan decide what is best for Afghanistan? But that won't happen because the US has always interfered in Afghan in Afghanistan and many other parts of the world. But what can the US do in Afghanistan from now? Yeah, so like you said, the US has always been um sort of involved in what they call these forever wars or these wars that, you know, they can't get themselves out of. Um, and there's a famous saying that the U.S. doesn't lose wars. It just loses interest, which is exactly the case that's happening in Afghanistan, that they've lost interest. They know that they can't win. Uh, they know that there's no outcome which is going to be extremely beneficial for them. So they're packing up and they're leaving and they're going to redirect their forces and focus their interests elsewhere, like Iraq and Northern Africa. And they still remain involved in the region, but they're just going to get out of Afghanistan. So the response of the Biden administration actually has been interesting because they have been trying to uh, portray or spin this withdrawal as a victory and as a peace agreement. So Biden, like I said, he's always been very wary of increasing troops in Afghanistan. He was wary of doing this even as vice president to Obama. But now once he came into power, they released something that they call the Afghan peace agreement, which came after the Doha agreement, which was signed under President Trump. And this Afghan peace agreement basically discussed what the future of the Afghan constitution should look like, how the Taliban and Kabul government should get together and discuss what sort of transitional government they want and uh, how they would address the concerns of the country and the terms of a ceasefire. None of this has happened because the U.S. has been defining their time in Afghanistan as a win. They've been trying to convey that to us. And how are they portraying it as a win? They're saying that, you know, we have come in, we came into Afghanistan uh, 20 years ago uh, and we did this to dismantle terrorism from the country. And now the Taliban are promising us that, you know, they will never allow Afghanistan to be used as a base to attack the United States. This is just the Taliban promising them. There is nothing that they can do to hold the Taliban accountable. Once they leave, they have no leverage over the Taliban. There's nothing that they can do. Al-Qaeda is not diminished at all. It, the forces might be less, but they're already on the resurgence. They've just been lying undercover waiting for the U.S. to leave. The Taliban have not shown at any stage that they have cut ties with Al-Qaeda. But yet the U.S. is saying that we have won because Afghanistan will never be used as a base to plot attacks against the United States. Since we haven't had another 9-11 in 20 years, we have achieved our objective. Uh, and that's how they're trying to they're trying to sell it to the public that uh, our entire campaign in Afghanistan has been very successful. But it, that's what's extremely worrying because they have no leverage on the Taliban. There are no checks and balances or guarantees in place that the Taliban stick to the promise. Uh, Al-Qaeda has not been defeated or dismantled. And more concerning from India's perspective is that the U.S.'s narrative on Pakistan has not changed. So the U.S. still knows that, yes, the Taliban are in power because of Pakistan. Yes, Taliban continues to protect Taliban leaders and their family. Uh, Pakistan should be doing more in Afghanistan. Yes, we agree. And the U.S. keeps saying, look, we're having these conversations with them. We're having these conversations with them. But of course, nothing has changed on the ground because 20 years later, the Taliban is still so powerful and there's nothing that the U.S. can do about it. So Biden has been extremely defensive about the entire drawdown. Uh, he's been trying to also a little bit place blame on Trump that, you know, the Trump agreement said that we should withdraw forces and they struck a not so perfect deal with the Taliban. 
and you know there's not much that we can do so we should leave so whatever leverage that the us could have they gave that up very quickly once they said that we're withdrawing completely there's going to be no residual force that's a promise and the taliban are going to make sure that they hold the us to that promise and now the us is leaving so the taliban can up the ante and continue their violence once again so the entire withdrawal matter has been uh, handled very incorrectly because it just shifts the power straight into the taliban's hands and it leaves the kabul government extremely extremely vulnerable the trump government did it because they wanted to win the election they wanted to have at least one big thing to show the american public that they have achieved because us china trade war wasn't successful they couldn't literally drain the swamp and they couldn't get the manufacturing jobs back to the us so they really needed to show something to the us the american citizens the trump voters and say listen i have done something which you really wanted but the biden administration do not have such compulsions but they are still going around with it so you know the thing is i mean who knows how donald trump thinks that's up you know anyone's best <laughs> guess but i think what the trump administration's thinking was is that this war is extremely unpopular we have been there for so many years we are nowhere close to winning so why don't we begin the process of trying to at least get out of the country and then let them handle things for their own because it's in it it fits into trump's sort of america first thinking that for too long have american troops sacrificed their money and their lives in afghanistan this is not our battle let the afghans figure it out for themselves barack obama had a similar thinking he wanted to explore the possibility of reaching out to members of the taliban and looking at a possibility of a political settlement but at that time it was just not viable and even though he had promised a withdrawal uh, he actually went he back and sent troops to afghanistan yep he increased the troops and then trump came along and said that we need to withdraw let's look at the possibility of a political settlement which isn't wrong but uh, you can argue it whichever way the doha agreement might have been the best possible option that the taliban had for yes maintaining some power and for the war ending but any chances of the doha agreement being fulfilled in its entirety are now completely out of the window what is interesting is that the biden administration they're just in their first year and in the first few months they have made this promise to get out of afghanistan so it's not like they have taken time seen how the situation on the ground uh, develops because they've still got 3 years to sort of prove themselves in afghanistan but biden's having none of that um, he made a promise that us forces should come home and uh, now it's every afghan for themselves literally so that's how things have changed uh, between the two administrations india and afghanistan have been close partners for centuries uh, and most definitely since independence of both nations but then there are overbearing issues like the taliban which has affected the ties can you tell us a little bit about the uh, uh, ties between india and afghanistan with taliban how has taliban influenced the ties Sure. So India and Afghanistan are, of course, very good friends, as we know. They all, we talk about them sharing historical ties, uh, cultural ties, religious ties, and you know the the distance from New Delhi to Kabul really isn't that far. Uh, so we do have a shared common history, which is very important. And the people of Afghanistan have they have tremendous goodwill for Indians. However, when the Taliban did come to power, all that sort of goodwill and close relationships just came to a immediate halt. and we know how bad relations were or how difficult it was for india especially when we look at the case of the ic814 hijacking when the plane landed in kandahar and india had didn't know who do we talk to we have no contacts with the taliban and how do we get our people safe um so that was at times when relations between india and afghanistan were at an all time low when the taliban were in power 
Since then, once the US came in 2001, things began to change. We basically did things on the ground uh, through the Kabul government. So our policies have been extremely demand-driven demand in Afghanistan. So the Kabul government might say that, you know, we have infrastructure issues and we would like uh, better highways or better roads so that we could increase, uh, you know, trade within the country uh, and, you know, uh, little artisans or vendors in the south can reach Kabul better uh, for, access, and we better for access, improve access. And India will say, sure, yes, we can help you with that and we can build those uh, highways for you. Uh, so India's interests in Afghanistan are unique because, you know, we call them Indian investments, but they're not really any investments because India is not getting anything out of this. They're literally doing it for the good of the Afghan people. So by building a dam, that has taken us so many years, has cost lives, has been at such high risk. Why has India built the dam? They have built the dam so that the people of Afghanistan in that region can have that water and can utilize that dam. Why have they built highways? So the people of Afghanistan can benefit. So India's involvement in Afghanistan is completely different from the Chinese who do things for their own interest. What is the commercial value of this investment for us? While India's investments are just investments into the people of Afghanistan. And that's the key distinction uh, between India and China and why Afghanistan-India ties remain so close. Now, things are slightly changing because now with the U.S. withdrawing and over years, given the fact that the reality on the ground is changing, New Delhi, we're now open to speaking with a larger group of actors in Afghanistan. And what I mean by a wider group of actors is that we're interested also in speaking to regional actors, people in the North, people in the West, people in the South, um, all Afghans who, are, who wield significant regional power and are influential in the making of policy on the ground. So this might also include the Taliban. While earlier India was completely closed off to negotiating with it, while there's still there's no official government um, saying that, yes, we will be talking to the Taliban, um, New Delhi is more open to the idea. Now, this doesn't mean that you have a minister sitting down with the head of the Taliban and talking about things. But it's about India trying to understand that who in the Taliban can we talk to? This could be Taliban leader at a local level or a regional level. And what's the need for talking to the Taliban? It's basically to ensure that the Taliban understand what India's interests in Afghanistan are, which is exactly this, that we're here to help you. We're here to build roads. We're here to build dams. We're here to develop infrastructure that will benefit all Afghans. And that is our only interest. So while Pakistan may see it through a different, different prism that India's interests in Afghanistan are to hurt us or to you know, wage war against us or whatever else Pakistan wants to think, it's important for India to develop ties with the Taliban at some level, it doesn't have to be at the highest level, so that the group knows what India's interest in the, countries, in the country is and how beneficial India and Afghanistan relationships can be. But I am personally not a big fan of talking to terrorist organizations. What is the best way to have... Oh, not absolutely not. But the thing is that... Yeah. It's, you know, we've sort of been balancing uh, what are our uh, moral instincts versus what are our strategic interests. So yes, the Taliban is a terrorist group. We should not forget that. But is there somebody in the Taliban that in case India is working on some project in, let's say, Herat, in Western Afghanistan, is there somebody in the Taliban that somebody in India can talk to and say, look, we are building this highway. Please don't kill our workers. 
please let us build this highway which can be used by, by all Afghans. That is what India's interest in Afghanistan is. So talking to the Taliban is to protect Afghan interests and to protect Indian interests. Earlier, the debate was, should we be talking to the Taliban? Then the debate was, when should we be talking to the Taliban? I think that has to change now to who in the Taliban should we be talking to? All the regional countries, be it Iran, be it China, be it Russia, they have all greatly expanded their relationship and their ties with the militant, with the terrorist group. India has not done that. India has not done that at all. We still 100% stand behind the Kabul government. We support any democratic process and democratic institution in the country. And India is going to do everything to continue to support that Kabul government. And I think everyone knows that because we, because we consistently say it and we have been consistently showing it. However, given that the Taliban are not going anywhere, Okay, there's however much we want there to be a military outcome uh, in Afghanistan and we want the Afghan forces to defeat the Taliban. Extremely unfortunately, that is not going to happen. That's not hasn't happened in 20 years. That hasn't happened in 40 years. And it's not going to happen a decade from now. So keeping that in mind, given that we're speaking to a large group of actors on the ground, we don't have to like all the actors. They might be corrupt warlords in their own region. They might have cases against them somewhere else. But at least we understand who they are and they know what India wants from Afghanistan. So even I am in no favor of having you know, good relations with the terrorist group. But I think our thinking has to shift to say that, yes, they are a militant terrorist group. However, if we need to keep working with the Kabul government for the betterment of the country, we need to have some dialogue with them so that they understand what India's point of view always is. If that doesn't happen, the situation in Afghanistan is going to change so quickly. And once again, India is going to be completely left out. And any gains that we have made since the U.S. entering Afghanistan in 2001, it's going to take us 40 more years to get, back, get that relationship back, unfortunately. So I 100% understand your concern. And I think that's how everyone is looking at it, that why should India give up its moral principles and talk to the Taliban? But we need to see it as balancing our moral principles with our strategic interests and deciding what exactly are we talking to the Taliban about. So you talked a little bit about the region's divergent interest in Afghanistan. Iran wants to have good ties with Afghanistan, but then it doesn't like the Taliban. Pakistan wants the Taliban to succeed and not, and it doesn't like the Afghan government. Russia and China are expanding their sphere of influence there. They want the resources. Uh, they want to have control, especially China, because it helps in their uh, BRA project. How does all of this play into the politics of Afghanistan? That's an extremely complicated question because it's every, all different actors, they all have their different interests, like you said, and each country is so different from one another that it's really going to be a very tough situation for everyone to sort of work together, uh, you know, disentangle all their overlapping interests and have some uh, work together for the betterment of the country. So powers like Russia, Iran, China, they've all been, you know, uh, given that the U.S. is withdrawing, have all been sort of rushing in to fill the strategic vacuum and do whatever they can uh, do best in order to ensure their interests. So I'll just sort of discuss each country um, one by one because it'll be easier. So when you look at Iran, um, now Iran's role is very important because Iran shares a very long border with Afghanistan. And it has traditionally, Iran has been opposed to the idea of the Taliban. And they have been one of the countries, now their relationship with the US might have worsened, but they were supportive of the US invasion of Afghanistan in 2001. 
and they've also been a traditional um, India and Iran have been traditional uh, allies in the war against the Taliban. Now their relationship with the Taliban, of course, has changed over time, particularly after the U.S. withdrew from the JCP nuclear agreement. And now the Iran's desire in Afghanistan is simply for a government that is moderately friendly towards them and one that protects the rights of the Shia minorities. So the, while they're concerned that, yes, Afghanistan can go into complete chaos, there could be a civil war and there will be a spillover of refugees, they want to remain very diplomatic and active in engaging different stakeholders. There's a huge scope in which India and Iran cooperate in Afghanistan. Now for Russia, Russia's main interest, of course, um, remains the security of the Central Asian uh, it's Russia has hosted the Taliban delegation over the years and they have a direct line to the group uh, and they have been so Moscow are twofold one they know the US would US was in the country the interests of the Central Asian republics were protected now that the US is leaving they're very concerned and they continue to make statements uh, you know regarding on how they're going to be protecting their allies in Central Asia but yet they're also, they also have ties to the Taliban in which, uh, you know, they came out with a joint statement recently in which it's kind of strange because they said, you know, the Taliban are not, seek, are not seeking to wield complete military power. And, you know, don't worry, the th gains the Taliban is making not threaten the international order. So there obviously appears to be some sort of uh, coordination or other convergence uh, regarding the statements and the statements coming out of the Kremlin. As for countries like China, uh, China, of course, uh, continues to see Afghanistan through the prism of its relationship with India and Pakistan's relationship with India. Uh, it remains a power, powerful, well, not powerful really, but an influential player in Afghanistan because of its relationship with Pakistan, its growing ties with Iran, uh, its growing ties in Central Asia. But we need to really see how Chinese actions on the ground uh, will evolve because China is good at you know, talking about a lot of things and doing less. So while it has made these statements about we're going to invest this in Afghanistan and while we're going to invest that, all commercial investments, they have been very wary of actually putting their money on the ground because they have been afraid of what would happen if the security situation gets bad. So while it has interest in Afghanistan, mining, expanding BRI, we've been hearing about all this, they've been very reluctant. And the Taliban has given them assurances. They have given them assurances that we will protect it, they have given the Chinese assurances regarding uh, that, you know, we're not going to we're not going to basically provoke the Uyghur militants, which is China's biggest concern. China's biggest concern in Afghanistan remains that the rise of extremism and Taliban coming to power would mean that the Taliban would influence the Uyghur militants in Xinjiang. And that would be a problem on Beijing's hands. So Taliban has been giving them this, these assurances. And China, of course, shows that, you know, it's politically flexible. It can always adapt to which government is on the ground as long as its interests are protected. So what happens now after US withdrawal will, of course, be very interesting to watch to see what is what exactly is it that China can do on the ground and how it, of course, works with Pakistan to ensure that uh, things in Afghanistan remain in China's favor. As for Pakistan, Pakistan's in a very good position. They, they're basically winning in Afghanistan. They have supported the Taliban long enough the Taliban to outlast the United States. They didn't have to defeat the United States. They just had to outlast them, which is exactly what the Taliban has done. And Pakistan has also been very successful in selling their narrative. 
So yes, we have a terrorist, but there's nothing else that you know anyone can do about it. Because if you require your aid or and you require support in Afghanistan, you're going to still have to give money so that we can, um, you know, so-called protect our borders. And so their relationship with the U.S. remains the same. And uh, the U.S. continues to believe, or at least pretends to believe, that the gains, the benefits being are greater than losses. So Pakistan is continuing to play the victim. Uh, without realizing that in order to not be the victim, in order to not be a victim of terrorism, they need to change their entire thinking, their entire ideology, their entire course on what exactly they have to do. But of course, they're not going to do that. And I'm not, I don't have any delusions about Pakistan changing course. So they will continue playing the victim. They will continue getting support from the US. They will continue getting support from China. They will say that, you know, we are using this to protect our borders to ensure that terrorism doesn't come into Pakistan. But instead, they're going to continue to do this to promote and protect the Afghan Taliban. A clear example of this is what's been happening in the news over the last few days, where Afghan forces and Taliban are fighting for control over Spin Boldak. Now, this is a very important border crossing between Afghanistan and Balochistan. And uh, Vice President of Afghanistan, Abdullah Saleh, has also tweeted, this was an, he didn't back, back this up with evidence, but he did say that you know, Pakistan has warned us that the Afghan Air Force cannot come close to killing the Taliban next to the Talib Pakistan border. So the relationship with Afghanistan is continued, is con going to continue to be um, on very dangerous and very precarious territory uh, because they want the Taliban to gain greater military power so that they have more leverage over the Afghan government. And that, of course, puts Talib uh, Pakistan in a very good position. So out of all actors, all the regional actors, Pakistan's going to be okay. So even if there's complete chaos in Afghanistan, they will manage it somehow. They'll be able to get their aid and they will be good. It even works very Taliban, well for them then. If there's complete it chaos works very in well Afghanistan, for them. Absolutely. it's completely uh, all right for Pakistan. They, in fact, probably want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, one way of looking at it. So even if, you, even if there's complete chaos in Afghanistan, which means the Taliban take over, there's, you know, there's civil war everywhere, Pakistan's going to be okay. Because they're going to be able to convince the United States, they're going to be able to convince China that we need your money, we need your aid to protect our borders, to protect our interests. And we are doing everything we can uh, to put pressure on the Afghan Taliban, which they're not. Even if there is a situation where the Taliban and the Afghan government get into some sort of uh, you know, skewed power relationship in Kabul, Pakistan will be okay with that as well, because they already have so much strength within the Taliban and in Kabul that their interests will, of course, be protected. Do you foresee something like a JCPOA for Afghanistan, where all the regional powers come together and try and help or try and keep Taliban in check? No, I wish I could have that sort of optimism. But I think any sort of agreement that will come out of all the regional countries will just be a statement that uh, we need to support Afghans. We need to improve trade with Afghans. We need to ensure uh, that terrorist groups do not take control over Afghanistan. That's all the statements are going to be. But to be able to get all actors on the ground, to be able to see where do we converge, how can our interests, how can we protect our interests and the interests of Afghans? For that to happen, it seems highly unlikely, uh, unfortunately. And the best possible thing, what can people do? is that I think India should be looking at what sort of work can they be doing with Iran in Afghanistan? What work can we be doing with Russia? 
in Afghanistan. And while Iran and Russia have very different interests, uh, there has to be some, some way where our interests can converge, uh, even though these two have very close ties to the Taliban. Uh, but there has to be some convergence more at a bilateral level rather than all the countries coming together and making a plan for Afghanistan. I really wish that was the case, but it remains highly, highly unlikely at this point. Uh, what is in the future for India and Afghanistan? How can we engage with Afghanistan economically and diplomatically, given that there's so much of complication there? So, like I said, I think India-Afghan ties are so strong, and I think the Afghan people know uh, that India has their best interests at heart always. It really depends on how the situation evolves. Uh, by the end of next month, once the U.S. completely leaves, or at least by the end of 2021, to see what is the situation on the ground, how much territory do the Taliban really hold, how much pressure is the international community, uh, including Pakistan, putting on the Taliban to enter into a political agreement. And I think once the Taliban are somehow managed to agree to a political agreement, it's at that point that India, along with the international community, have to ensure that Taliban follows, uh, I mean, basically the, the Kabul government is not giving in to too many of the demands of the Taliban. Uh, and the rights of women, the rights of minorities are protected, democratic institutions that have been built over the last 20 years are protected. Uh, they remain free and fair elections in the country. And I think at that point, India's role will be extremely important because Kabul is going to need reliable, dependable allies on its side. Because at this point, Everyone seems to want to talk to the Taliban, ensure their interests are protected in the Taliban, and no one is standing next to the Kabul government and giving them the support that they need. So what's going to happen between India and Afghanistan in the future is very tough to say. It, of course, depends on what the situation on the ground uh, continues to be. But that being said, there is plenty of scope for us to work together, uh, even if it's between countries. And it's important that the international community stops giving Taliban the legitimacy uh, that has been fueling their offensive against the country, that has been influencing their uh, sort of sense of grandeur and that they're invincible, and that all countries, Russia, China, Iran, while they might want to talk to the Taliban, they tell them that you have to stop fighting, you have to sign a ceasefire agreement. There is no way that you can militarily take over this country and that everyone will be okay with it. You have to sit down with the Kabul government and you have to enter a political negotiation. There is no other option. There is no military option in Afghanistan. There's only a political settlement which will improve things. I think that's what's important for regional countries as well as India to continue to emphasize. Thank you so much, Keithi, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. We hope that you got an understanding of what's happening in Afghanistan. Stay tuned for more such podcasts on businessline.com.